0: Well, I invite you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalm 84. Uh, if you're wondering where, what we've been doing these last couple of weeks, uh, we've been doing a series called Psalms that Dave likes. Uh, and so we might, we might go on in this series for, for a little while. Psalm 84. Uh, you know, one of the great things about the Psalms... Uh, is the way that they are both our words to God and God's word to us. And we're going to read a psalm this morning about yearning for God, the psalmist's words of yearning expressed to God. Uh, But this is also God giving us a word to show us how good he is and how lovely he is. And through the psalmist's words of longing, God invites us, as people who often long, "...for the wrong things to long with the psalmist." Uh, so let's listen to Psalm 84 together this morning. Uh, to the choir master, according uh, to the Gitith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints, for the courts of the Lord... My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose hearts are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs; the early rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength; each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer; give ear, O God of Jacob; behold our shield, O God. in you. This is a psalm about homesickness. You might have a memory of homesickness from a time you went away to camp, or you went away to college, or some other time uh, that you were away from family and friends. We get that longing in our heart to be home where we belong, Uh, That kind of longing is expressed in this psalm, but the psalmist is not homesick for his house or for his own bed. He is homesick for the house of the Lord because that is his true home. And he is on a pilgrimage to God's house in Jerusalem, which is the place that his heart wants to rest. This psalm, of course, is not just a psalm about an ancient pilgrim on his way to Jerusalem. It's not locked in the past. It's not a history lesson about about ancient Israelite feelings. Uh, It articulates the experience of every generation that longs to see God and experience His strength and find our dwelling in His presence forever. So this psalm basically has three sections. Uh, Each has a beatitude. Uh, We're going to look at it in verses 1 through 4, 5 through 7, 8 through 12. Uh, The longing heart of the pilgrim, the transforming power of the pilgrim, and the gospel mindset of the pilgrim. Uh, The psalmist longs for the presence of God. If you look at the first four verses of the psalm, Uh, you will see references to the Lord's dwelling place, the Lord's courts, the Lord's altars, and the Lord's house. The psalmist is on his way to that temple. Uh, I think there are reasons you could argue that it's for the great feast of Sukkot, but that's another story. Uh, And as he journeys to Jerusalem, it is his deep longing to worship in God's presence that fills His heart. And so the psalm begins, verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, which the loveliness there is not a reference to the architecture or to the aesthetic beauty of the temple. The focus is not on the place, but on the presence. Uh, It is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. It is God that makes the place lovely. Uh, And if you were to just do a quick review of the phrases, the terms used to describe God in this psalm, they're all about his loveliness. He's a king. Uh, He's a son. He's a shield. He's the living God. He's the Lord of hosts. He's the God of Jacob. The most significant thing about the temple is that it is the place where the Lord of hosts, uh, remember, which just means the Lord of heavenly armies, has chosen To reside among people. And this loveliness evokes the psalmist's deepest emotions. Uh, When you look at verse 2, the psalmist talks about his soul longing and fainting. His heart and his flesh are are singing and uh, rejoicing for the living God. And, And this is what we call religious affections. Uh, With our minds, we understand and comprehend things. Uh, But with our affections, we set our hearts on something. And we are moved by that thing. Uh, We love, or we sorrow, or we exult, or we grieve, or we marvel, or we rejoice. Uh, So you can know things about God but not desire God, not seek God, not delight in God, not love God, not have any affections for Him uh, at all. And so if your entire Christian life is all knowledge and no affections, uh, that is unhealthy. Uh, Of course, if your entire Christian life is all affections, it's all emotions and no knowledge, that's not healthy either because affections need to be grounded somewhere. The two things really go together. They should be kind of like a a two-stroke engine or a spiritual combustion cycle where more affections lead us to know God more, and knowing God more leads to more affections, and back and forth it goes. The psalmist has these deep affections for the Lord. Uh, You can tell how much the psalmist longs for God uh, because he reflects on the swallows who can nest near the altar of the Lord, in verse 3. So the temple walls are made of these rough stones, which means there are places in the little crevices where the birds can make their nests. Uh, And as the psalmist yearns for the temple, he is jealous of these little birds who live in the temple precinct and are constantly in the divine presence. Uh, he's thinking about how the exalted king of heavenly armies lets little birds dwell in his presence where they are safe and protected and nurtured. And the psalmist says, that, that's what I want my soul to be like. I long for my soul to be at home and at rest under God's protection in his house like that little bird. Uh, And so the first portion of the psalm ends with a beatitude. Uh, Verse 4, Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Uh, Maybe that's a reference to the priests and to other cultic servers who are always in God's presence. But uh, look at the happiness of people who dwell in God's presence. That's true happiness. That's the yearning heart of the pilgrim. Uh, I wonder... Uh, do we live like wandering nomads looking for something to fill us? Or do we live like yearning pilgrims who know our destination and long to be in God's presence? I wonder, with all the distractions Uh, of technology and news and doom-scrolling the daily disaster or controversy that is headlining today, if we have lost a sense of spiritual longing, Uh, or if maybe our generation has replaced spiritual longing with anger or frustration or despair. Uh, I wonder if people think, you know, if COVID just goes away, if the world just regains a little bit of sanity, if my life just gets fixed relationally or financially, then I won't have to long for anything. Uh, Those things will never provide the balm that we need to be satisfied. Uh, Blessed are those who dwell in your house ever singing your praise. Uh, But it's not only the people who are in the temple who are blessed. Uh, The longing for God means going on a pilgrimage to his presence. Faith is movement. Faith is sojourning. It's going towards God. And there's a great blessing in that too. Verse 5, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways uh, to Zion. Uh, So, uh, I love this phrase, uh, blessed are those whose strength is in you. Uh, how, How do we get strength for the journey? Where do we get strength in the Christian life? We don't draw it from ourselves or from our wisdom, from our ability to handle every situation. Instead, we lean on God every day. Faith is not drawing on our own strength. Faith is drawing on God's strength. It's living on, in daily dependence on him. Uh, and there's this great phrase, in whose hearts are the highways. Uh, and then some translations add to Zion or to Jerusalem because that's clearly the sense. Uh, but it's in whose hearts are the highways. And I, I love this image, right? Uh, the highway uh, is not on your map. It's not on your iPhone. It's not in Waze or Google Maps. Uh, It's on your heart. The geography of our hearts is set on and is oriented towards the place of God's dwelling. That's our internal compass to be fixed on God. Uh, And because the pilgrim draws his strength from God and because Zion is in his heart, the pilgrim experiences this transforming power during his journey. Uh, It's in verse 6. Uh, It takes just a teeny bit of explanation here. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. Uh, So, um, the valley of Baca becomes the place of springs. And so, commentators talk about... Uh, how, well, the Valley of Baca, nobody knows where it is. It must be some super dry, arid place that God then, you know, turns into a place of beauty for those who are are traveling. Uh, That's probably true. But I think we're clearly meant to uh, interpret this symbolically a little bit because Baca in Hebrew is the word for weeping. Uh, And when it says the rains come and the place becomes a place of pools... Uh, The word pools there is the same consonants as the word blessings. Uh, And if you have the New American Standard, you'll see that in verse 6 it actually translates it as blessings. In other words, uh, for the pilgrim going to Zion, the place of weeping, baka, becomes the place of blessing, barakot. Uh, As pilgrims, we pass through places of difficulty and hardship in trial, uh, yet as we draw our strength from God, as we keep the highways in our hearts, what do we find? We find that the places of difficulty and weeping become places of blessing. Uh, and they strengthen our longing for being at home with God, which is why verse 7 says, They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Uh, If if you've ever gone on a long journey, you know you don't really go from strength to strength. (laughs) The longer you go, the more tired you get. Uh, But here it says we go from strength to strength. Now, the Christian life may not feel that way most of the time, right? We feel tired. We feel worn down. We're in the grip of discouragement. Uh, we, We battle besetting sins. Uh, We have wounds which don't seem to heal. But again, remember, strength to strength does not mean our strength. Blessed is the one whose strength is in you, verse 5 says. Uh, And as we move and as we journey towards God, we will have a growing sense of our own weakness. But we will also have a growing sense of... ...of how God is supplying us with His strength... ...and how He is providing for our spiritual needs... ...and how He is empowering us to keep going... ...despite the obstacles and despite the discouragements... ...and the disappointments and the betrayals... ...and the fact that our own hearts are prone to wander off the path. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion... Real strength is in God. Uh, God gives strength to people who recognize their weakness and failure and sin. It's why Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong. The weaker we get, the more we see how much we need God's grace, the stronger we get in his strength. Uh, So I just want to note briefly in verses 5 through 7, Uh, The word they, or really sort of the the subject of the verbs here, Uh, they have their strength in you. They go through the valley of weeping. They make it a place of of springs. They go from strength to strength. Uh, In other words, arid deserts become springs when we journey together and long for heaven together as a community of pilgrims. Places of weeping become places of blessing when we trust the Lord and draw on His strength together. Sticking together. Uh, I think we have spent some time in the valley of Baca together uh, over the last couple of years. We'll have more tears along the way. Few people, if any, make it to Zion without them. Uh, But together, those times can become places of blessing as we hold on to God, and as we hold on to each other. Uh, So this pilgrim journey changes the way we look at the world. So this brings us to the third point, the the gospel mindset of the Christian. I'm going to come back to verses 8 and 9 in just a minute. Uh, In verse 10, we've got two comparisons. One day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I want you to think about the best day of your entire life. Uh, And I want you to think about doing that a thousand times. And then think about how that's nothing compared to truly being in God's presence and dwelling with Him. There's a qualitative difference between time with God and even the best kind of time without God. Uh, and then the psalmist says uh, that he would rather stand at the door of God's house, be a doorkeeper in the house of God, than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. To stand at the door is to offer a kind of lowly form of, of service, is to be present sort of in a very minimal way. Uh, but it's better to be granted a lowly place in God's presence than to dwell comfortably Uh, With unbelief and sin. Uh, Which makes me think of all the times Jesus says things to his followers like, Go and sit in the lowest place. uh, Or turn and become like little children. Or deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Why, Why would I do something like that? Why would I deny myself and take up my cross? Why would I go and sit down at the lowest place? That doesn't make any sense at all. Well, it does if I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. There's a qualitative difference between being with God no matter how lowly the status is versus being without God no matter how secure and exalted. So verse 11 unpacks these comparisons. Why is it better to be a court dweller? Why is it better to be a doorkeeper? Because God is both a sun and a shield, uh, which means God is both the source of life uh, and a source of protection. Uh, Because verse 11 says, "...the Lord bestows favor and honor. He gives grace uh, and glory." Uh, and because, verse 11 says, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly, which means everything that really matters in life comes from him. Uh, so let me come back to verses 8 and 9 for just a second. Um, this is a prayer. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of of your anointed. This is actually the only place in the Psalm where the Psalm really asks for something. And he's not even asking for himself, it appears. Uh, he's saying, Look on the face of your anointed. Anointed here, you probably know it's the word Mashiach, Messiah. Uh, every king was anointed uh, and considered to be a Mashiach. And so this is a prayer for the king. And a lot of people are wondering, what is this prayer doing in the middle of this psalm? Uh, it doesn't seem to fit. Uh, so, uh, you know, a lot of commentators are like, well, it must be an interpolation. It must be a textual error of, of some kind. Uh, no, I, I think it does fit uh, because in the Old Testament, God ordains a king and he establishes his house. And he is to reign, the king is to reign and establish peace so that the people can dwell in God's presence, so that the people can dwell in God's house. It is through the work of the king that God brings people into his home, Uh, which reminds me of the way that Jesus talks in John chapter 14, which we in our series in John. Uh, Jesus says, he is going away to prepare a place for us In his father's house. He's talking about his death and resurrection as Israel's king. And when Philip asked Jesus to show him the way, what is the way? Jesus says, I am the way. He is the way that we enter the father's house. He is the way home to the father. Uh, And when we appear in Zion, and when we stand in the father's house, it won't be Because God looked on our face. That's not the prayer of verse 9. Behold our shield, O God, look on my face. I'm the shield, God, look at how great I am. When we appear in Zion and we stand in our Father's house, it won't be because God looked on our face. Oh, good job, Dave, you know. uh, You did it all perfectly. You are everything I wanted you to be. Uh, It will be because God looked on the face of ...of his anointed. It will be because God looked... ...on the face of Jesus... ...the one completely obedient for us... ...the one who took all of our sin... ...the one who gave us perfect righteousness... Uh, ...and the good news... ...that God looks at the face of Jesus... ...and brings us into his home... ...then travels back... ...into our current experience of pilgrimage and makes dry places springs until we appear before Him in glory. Uh, I just want us to keep a vision of God's loveliness and our pilgrimage to dwell with Him before us as we journey through this wilderness together. Uh, I I just want us to say, uh, God, be my strength. Uh, I just want us to say, let the highways be in my heart. You know, there are so many people right now. There are so many movements offering you a different geography for your heart. Uh, They're offering you a different map, a different thing to set your heart on. Let the highways be in your heart. Uh, And go from strength to strength. Yes, there are going to be places of tears. Uh, Stick together. They can become places of of blessing. Uh, and don't be a nomad wandering around aimlessly searching for satisfaction. Uh, long, long for God's presence. Be a pilgrim who is on your way to your true home in Zion where you will, assure, where you will surely appear in Christ. Amen? Let's pray.